Welcome to the August 29th edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ. And we are in Skokie, Illinois uh, today on the 29th, but we are worshiping in Laurel Park. And a live stream outdoors is not a great idea. And our person who our persons who generally manage that are both unavailable to be here this morning. So there is an attempt to record it and upload it on our YouTube page. But otherwise, if that does not work, this is your only way to find out uh, what the scriptures and sermon were for August 29th. And the sermon title is not in front of me, but it's basically about stewardship of the earth in crisis. In this case, the climate crisis. Katie Shirky Aguayo is our lector, and she'll be reading from Genesis 1, Psalm 8, and Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51. Before starting, let me ask you to join me in a brief word and spirit of prayer. Merciful God, we give you thanks for the gift of this planet and the gift of your word and spirit. We ask that you bless this word as it is read and listened to and the proclamation of the sermon that it may help us do what you need and want us to do as your servants and stewards of the earth to make this planet better for the next generation. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. And now the scriptures. These passages were chosen for the sermon theme this morning. The first two are both from the Old Testament. The first is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. God has been working on creation, and this is part of what happened on the sixth day, in the version that breaks it down day by day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seeds in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was, an, there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. That concludes the reading from Genesis. Our second passage from the Hebrew scriptures is Psalm 8. 
O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You, put, you have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This ends the reading from the book of Psalms. Our third and final passage is Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. Jesus has been teaching about preparing wisely for the return of the Son of Man. Here, he puts it in a parable of stewardship. Jesus asked the disciples, who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his master has put in charge of the ho his household to give the other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, my master is delayed and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here ends the reading from the gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of God for the people of God. Our service continues with the musical meditation by Dan Gunther. It seems like our world and our nation is always in some kind of crisis. There's the crisis of pulling out in Afghanistan. There's the crisis of gun violence throughout America. And there is the crisis of COVID-19 joined by its more contagious and lethal Delta mutation. We have a crisis in churches with decreasing membership, resources, and connection with one another, let alone the overall declining percentage of people in the U.S. declaring no affiliation with a house of worship or a religion. And then in early August, we got a harsh reminder of what we'd been warned before, that, to borrow a lyric from Natalie Merchant, this house is on fire. In times like these, it helps a lot to have a grounding, a foundation of identity to help heal us and remind us of who we are and why we're here. For people of the book, capital B, we find that grounding in scripture, which sometimes speaks to us through other people. There's the old saying, you may be the only Bible someone else ever reads. So certainly God speaks to us through other people. Well, who are you and I in the midst of these crises? Why are we here? And does that help us face our hard choices and sacrificial decisions? The verses Katie read are foundational for Jews, Christians, and Muslims, the three Abrahamic faiths, in reminding us we are all made in the image of God. In the very, the very fact that we are human, we are made in God's image. And it's a short trip 
from all of humanity being made in the divine image to being God's caretakers of and on the earth. Genesis 1 goes from talking about dominion over the the beasts of the earth and so on, from creating humankind and then putting humankind in charge here. Old news, but it seems like many folks, especially folks in power over decades, forgot this. It's like a global amnesia of a spiritual kind. Made in God's image, which partly means to take care of the earth like God would have us take care of it, like God wants it taken care of. Stewards of the planet. We are all in this together on every country. My trusty Oxford annotated study Bible says of the reading from Genesis, image, likeness, refer not to physical appearance, but to relationship and activity. Humankind is commissioned to manifest or to show God's rule on earth. Together, men and women made in the image of God share the task of being God's stewards on earth. Human dominion, according to God's rule, is to be benevolent and peaceful. And Psalm 8 reminds us, too, that God has given us, quote, dominion over the works of your hands. Well, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann also reminds us of these kind of basics as he wrote... It is now generally agreed that the image of God reflected in human persons is after the manner of a king who establishes statues of himself to assert his sovereign rule where the king himself cannot be present. The image of God in the human person, the image of God in the human person, is a mandate of power and responsibility. But it is power exercised as God exercises power. Thus, the task of dominion does not have to do with exploitation and abuse. It has to do with securing the well-being of every other creature. And he continues briefly, Moreover, a Christian understanding of dominion must be discerned in the way of Jesus of Nazareth. The one who rules is the one who serves. The role of the human person is to see to it, Brueggemann says, that the creation becomes fully the creation willed by God. We and our forebears have always been created to be stewards of this planet. And especially of late, we failed because we're no longer talking about climate change. It's a climate crisis we find ourselves in. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change titled its recent report, Code Red for Humanity. The scientists and researchers were clear, we are in trouble. They wrote, many changes due to past and future generation gas emissions are irreversible for centuries to millennia, especially changes in the ocean, ice sheets, and global sea level. The Reverend Cameron Trimble added, while we must stay on course to lower our CO2 levels and other pollutants, we must acknowledge that we have passed a point of no return. We have fundamentally changed the quality of life for living creatures on Earth. Reverend Trimble lists the, if you can call them, highlights of the report, and she lists five. 
Humans are to blame for the warming of the planet. She says there is no longer a debate about that coming out of that report. Two, temperatures are going to continue to rise. Three, the weather is becoming more extreme. Four, the ice caps are disappearing. Arctic summers could be free of snow. Five, seas are rising and nothing we do will stop them. Another analysis comes from the Chicago Peace Action Network, who wrote, we have heated the planet roughly by 1.1 degrees Celsius, or 2 degrees Fahrenheit, largely by burning coal, oil, and gas for energy. We have delayed curbing fossil fuel emissions for so long that we can no longer stop global warming from intensifying. A hotter future is now irreversible. We must cut emissions starting immediately or nearly one billion people worldwide will swelter in life-threatening heat waves. Millions more will struggle for water and agriculture will be diminished. Many more species of insects, animals, plants, and coral reefs will become extinct. And the panel that did this report, the United Nations panel, teaches that we cannot allow the Earth's temperature growth to exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius. And the bill that's been sent to Congress that's supposed to deal with this as part of it will not enable us to stay below that objective. Plus, present global commitments to reduce emissions fall far short of meeting that target. The panel strongly recommends that countries take immediate and aggressive action to reduce fossil fuel emissions and continue these actions over the next 10 years. If we do not stay below a 1.5 degrees Celsius target, things will go above it and stay higher in perpetuity. So what's our grounding again? How do we frame ourselves as we approach this? Stewardship as an extension of who we are as humans made in God's image, a responsibility we have to the only planet we get to live on. That's what I propose. We look at it as stewards, as people made in God's image. But that framework has fallen on hard times since the Industrial Revolution and even more with the secularization of society. What are we to do in the face of this code red? Well, as human beings made in God's image, to take care of the planet as if God were one of us walking the earth, we ought not to, we ought not to be like the parable's wicked servant. He abused his power by beating the others instead of feeding them at the proper season, did not take care of them, of the household of the master, and instead he just went out and got loaded with his buddies time and again. Why did he think he could get away with that? Why did he have no sense of accountability? Here's why. But if that wicked slave says to himself, my master is delayed, dot, 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 well, one scholar puts that my Lord is taking his time, and feels then that he has lots of time to do what he wants and not be a good steward of that household. No one is watching. No one is going to come back to catch him. That commentator, whose last name is Luz, believes, quote, the servant's casual, my Lord is taking his time, means that the slave does not want to reckon with a future judgment of God at all. If a Christian begins to say to her or himself, my Lord won't be coming for a long time, 
This parable says that the ethical consequences will be disastrous. Moving God away in time and space can be the equivalent of unbelief. Sound unbelievable, given the current nature of our world and those who walk in it. Like I said, an increasing secularization. And the writer goes on, interestingly enough, in referring to the wicked steward and what happened, where spiritual sensitivities die, social services wither. He didn't have a spiritual sensitivity to his responsibility, and so the rest of the household suffered. So let us not be like that steward who did not believe there would be any accounting, which has already started to come home to us in the here and now, and in, even in years past. And let us not believe that God will not one day, let us not believe that God will one day demand an accounting of us. Actually, we should believe that. Instead, let us reclaim our calling to love our neighbors as ourselves and take better care of what God has entrusted to us as God would care for it. Let us remember not to be self-centered as that steward was either. Self-will run riot. By faith, you and I and all lovers of God are called to preserve and practice those spiritual sensitivities as alive and robust. It is not all about us. And that also means that we do not all bear equal responsibility for the climate crisis either. Sojourner Magazine's Karen Bigelow and Avery Lamb wrote, just 100 companies are responsible for 71% of climate pollution. And then she lists that one particular oil and gas company knew as early as 1977 that its business model would result in several degrees of warming. Rather than sharing their research with the public, the company spent the next four decades sowing misinformation about climate science. In her 2019 book, Blowout, Rachel Maddow offers a dark and serpentine tour of the unimaginably lucrative oil and gas industry. She takes us from Oklahoma City to Siberia to Equatorial Guinea, exposing the greed and incompetence of big oil and gas. Chevron, BP, and a host of other industry players get their star turn. And I remembered that 1977 story uh, when, when Tillerson was the candidate for Secretary of State. It was in the paper. Well, where was their sense of accountability to God, to you and me? Instead, we had something like, when, and I just learned this uh, recently, 11 years ago, the coast of Madagascar suffered, through, and they grow rice by the shores, and that's how they live with that rice. And it was time to plant, and it suffered a freak cyclone in a week. That was, that was not what they get. And then over the course of six weeks, they had six cyclones, destroying their rice crops and land ownership again and again and again, because in order to have rice at all to eat, they had to buy it because they couldn't grow it. And so there was a Chinese landowner who was nearby who said, well, give me half your land, and I will give you the rice you need. That was after the first cyclone. They had five more. That was in 2011. Those were freak cyclones. And you and I know, you don't need me, need me to say, we've got wildfires running rampant, floods in Europe, rising tides with the water released by melting ice from the, from the Arctic. 
all stuff we were warned about 20 years ago in an inconvenient truth. Now, this is viewed as a scientific issue, but people of several faiths would agree that this is a profoundly spiritual crisis as well. As people of both faith and science, there are several things we can do on the important political side, write Congress, write the White House, the Postmaster General, who is only ordering 10% of the new trucks to be electric, and organize. But as stewards and spiritual people, we can and must do more than simply that of the world. The fate of the earth is depending on ending procrastination and ending requests for moving forward slowly. What the crisis needs from us is not only organized love your neighbor and planet ethics, but also some hope. Well, one way to offer hope is going on. Karen Bigelow and Avery Lamb of Sojourners said, in our churches, we have the physical and spiritual assets to help our communities cope with the worst effects of the climate crisis. Many are already adapting to the new realities of the crisis, integrating them into the mission of their church. In the Southeast, churches are helping their communities adapt to the spiritual and physical traumas of sea level rise and intensifying hurricanes. In the South, they act as cooling centers for the great heat and humidity. So churches make themselves available for that simple but probably life-saving service. Our Christian response, they said, is not merely hope in action. It's a demonstration that hope is action. Now you could say that hope in local action is buying an electric vehicle when even now there are not enough charging stations then we have to trust on the supply and demand to take hold. Hope moves us to ride a bike to Walgreens or CVS instead of driving. Hope inspires us to put solar panels on our roofs. Hope moves us to write those letters, make those phone calls to power centers and state capitals in Washington. With the risen Christ within, we do not quit or yield to crisis or yield to grief or paralysis and anger and despair. We are needed by the, God of, by the grace of God. Our hope is a resurrection hope for the earth. Things are bad and will worsen before getting better. But perhaps by the mercies of God, our best efforts might be redeemed through the resurrection of Christ. In an age of despair and presumption, the journey of Christian hope is a spiritual survival strategy. Presumption and despair have done little to address the depths of destruction the earth is experiencing. So that's not the answer. Perhaps by the firm and courageous work of our decisive hands and the grace of God in Christ, we receive and share powerful hope. Servants or stewards, excuse me, stewards need to grab that and nourish it and share it and live it alone and together because it's all of us on the planet that are involved. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of The Red-Headed Preacher and the facing the fact of the crisis that we stewards of the earth have. Next week will be Labor Day Sunday, September 5th, and I have no idea what I'll be preaching on. I usually preach on labor and different aspects of that 
from the perspective of faith, but I haven't <clears throat> been able to confirm what I'm doing yet. Otherwise, I'd let you know so you could look forward to whatever that's going to be. But right now, can't confirm. Thank you again for listening, though, and I hope you appreciated the scriptures and the message today. May God bless you. May God bless your week. Amen. Bye.